I want to start this morning by asking a very simple question. What happens when there is a shared common goal? What happens when there is a shared common goal? I want to take you back to May, June of 1944. There was a young British Navy chaplain named Broughton Knox. He was on a ship with other Navy men preparing for D-Day and the invasion of Normandy. He noted uh, the minds of all the hands on board that regardless of their rank, they were focused on the invasion's success. No one thought of his own interest, but only of how he could help his shipmates in their commonly shared task. He, he remembers, he notes, I remember in my mind that I had never been happier. After the invasion and the return to England, everyone noticed a difference in the atmosphere of the ship. It was still friendly because it was a well-run ship, but several of the sailors, seeing the difference, asked the young chaplain why things were different. And here's what Knox said. He said, the answer is quite simple. During those months that preceded and followed D-Day, our thoughts had a minimum of self-centeredness in them. We gave ourselves to a shared activity and objective. Once the undertaking was over, we reverted to our own purposes as we normally do. Knox was, of course, reflecting on his ship's experience of the fellowship that they had of pursuing a common goal. Friends, human friendship is a wonderful thing, but fellowship goes beyond friendship. Fellowship occurs among friends committed to a common cause or goal, and it flourishes through their common pursuit of it. So today, I want us just to look at several verses as Paul has introduced himself. He's talking to the church at Philippi. Remember that this is a church that the Holy Spirit, as he's on his second missionary journey, that it kept him from going into Asia. But they find themselves there in Philippi. It's there that Lydia is saved. He, he, he is thrown into jail for preaching and teaching the gospel, but that doesn't stop him. What happens? You know, the jailer, his entire family was saved. Through in and through that, the Philippian church was birthed. This is the same church that he's writing to about 10 years ago, 10 years after it was birthed. And so here we find, after his introduction, I want us to look at verses 3 through 5. And he says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always, in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So what I want you to see very quickly is, as we're reading these verses, is that it's always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Pastor Jerry Vines, I, I picked up one of his study Bibles yesterday as, as we were shopping. I began to read through that, and he noted something about this verse. And he said, then and now, it's kind of hard to single out one person that you would find joy in. Amen? There are especially a church at large. And so I think that's important as we look at this, because what do we see? In this passage of Scripture, we see that Paul had the church at Philippi. He had them in his heart, he had them on their mind, and he had them in their prayers in his prayers i think what's interesting here is we talk about this being a book of joy 
and finding joy. You know, I'll just be very transparent. Uh, the first service was, you know, it was, it was crazy. Like everything nowadays operates off of technology or connects to the internet, and because of the storm or whatever else, guess what? We got in the first service and nothing worked. Everything we tried, thumb drive wouldn't work. This wouldn't work. This wouldn't connect. That wouldn't connect. But you know what? I found joy in the fact that as I'm, uh, I'm there and it's just so, it's so chaotic and we're getting ready to start and it's push come to sheriff, and then all of a sudden there becomes this lovely, heavenly sound that is arising from the sanctuary below me and is the chatter of God's people. So even in the midst of chaos, I found joy. That, that is what we're to do, is we're to look and we're to find joy, not in our circumstances, but in Christ. And so here, as we begin to study about joy, we must distinguish between worldly joy and Christian joy. You know, recently I asked people, you know, what do you want for other people in your lives? And they said, I want them to be happy. Well, listen, I, I, I don't know, I don't really like to use that word happy. Yeah, we want to be happy, but what is happiness is all based on circumstance. It, it's based on emotion. It's based on the here and now. And so one of the things that we see is that's what worldly joy is. Let's, what is Christian joy? Worldly joy requires delightful circumstances. Now, how many of y'all, if you're breathing, is life always delightful? Wait a second, I didn't see any of y'all raise your hands, right? I mean, life isn't. We never know. I mean, there's sicknesses, there's death, there's heartache, there's trials, there's tribulations. But in and midst those, can, where are we finding our joy? So worldly joy requires delightful circumstances, while, listen, Christian joy depends on a deep-seated delight in Christ, not our circumstances. I think, I think Elizabeth Elliot said it best. I think I've shared this in a previous message. But she said this, The secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. Christ in me, not a different set of circumstances. I mean, I could tell you stories since my 18 or however 20 months long that I've been at Bethel. There have been times where I, I wanted a different set of circumstances. But it's Christ in me. In that moment. That's how it should be for our lives as well. Now, what's interesting about Elizabeth Elliot, some of you may know of or have heard of her husband, Jim. Jim Elliot and his buddies, they had a passion for the uh, Akua Indians in eastern Ecuador. So they got their plane and they went and they flew into this remote tribe, in this remote village of these Akua Indians. And as they got there and they landed, they were met with opposition, so much opposition and hostility that they were all killed by those Indians. Now what's interesting is here that the thing about Elizabeth Elliot is, and the reason she can say the secret is Christ in me, not in a different set of circumstances, because it was there that she spent two years as a missionary to those tribe members who killed her husband. That, that's radical, but that's the transforming grace and power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is, is, uh, can you imagine what she must have been thinking and what, what she would have went through to minister to that tribe who brutally murdered her husband and all of his friends that were with him? But she went and she, she, was, she loved them. She forgave them as Christ has forgiven her and has forgiven us. I, I think about this week I heard this song, and now I can't even remember the name of the song, but anyway, the lyrics are this. And I thought it was fascinating, especially as we talk about joy. I've still got joy in chaos, and I've got peace that makes no sense. Like when you're following Christ, and you're loving and serving Him, and you're faithfully following Jesus, 
There will be times in your life that maybe you too can say that you have joy in the chaos and peace that makes no sense. If we were to open up the mic, I bet there were times in, in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your circumstances where you can say, I, I indeed did have this joy, this peace that surpassed all understanding that, that, that made no sense because it was Christ in me. Now, one of the things I want you to know is that as I preach and teach each week, one of the things that I've been taught is there's something I'm, I'm looking for as I study, as I'm praying through. And it's one question. It's just one little, it's four words, but a little phrase. And it's in my notes most every week. And that is this, power in the text. Where's the power in the text? What does God need for us to see? What is it? Why are we in this passage? And what I want you to see next is why we came to this passage and the key word today. Sometimes it's a phrase. Sometimes it's, it's just a general idea. But today it is a key word. And what does Paul say? He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. As we look at this word, some of your translations may say fellowship. But really and truly, as we look back at the original Greek, we see the word koinonia. And what's interesting here about this word is that it's deeper, it's more intimate, it goes further than just fellowship. Because see, typically in a Baptist round, we say, oh, we're going to have fellowship, that equals food. Right? Fellowship equals food. Just, I mean, hey, and if a group of pastors is going to be together, a bird, a chicken's going to die and get deep fried. Just saying, our group of Baptists, it happens, it's what we do. So listen, fellowship equals food, but listen, partnership partnership equals participation partnership equals participation and you say well chris how do you see this i want to take you over to the amplified version now if you're studying and you're going deeper in your bible study or reading the verse i encourage you sometime to go over the amplified version amp the amp amplified version listen to how the amplified version translates this what it does is it takes the original greek and hebrew it kind of breaks it out because sometimes in english things don't translate very well and so um what we find is we find a deeper truer meaning of some of these words. And so here, let's read this together. I thank my God in every remembrance of you, always offering every prayer of mine with joy and with specific requests. Let's pause right there. We just said that partnership, this koinonia, this fellowship is intimate, right? The only way you're going to be able to pray for one another is to know one another. The only way that I can pray specifically for you is to get to know you. For all of you, thanking God for your participation and your partnership, both your comforting fellowship and your gracious contributions. In what? In advancing the good news and advancing the gospel regarding salvation from this day, from the first day you heard it until now. So in essence, as we're looking here today, as we're looking at this word koinonia, as we're looking at this partnership, some translations say fellowship, what it means is that we're prayerfully and financially, we're together. It's an ultimate deep personal concern. It's personal. You know people personally. And the thing is, guys, right now, you're all, all of your attention, your, your focus is on me up here. We, we sit in chairs across the street. We sit in pews. You cannot get to experience koinonia sitting in a pew looking all in the same direction. 
As you've heard me say time and time again, circles are better than rows. Why? Because when we gather together in in, in a small group, three, four of us, or two of us, one-on-one, and you sit across the table from one another, you get to know one another. You get to hear each other's story. You get to hear the things that you've been through. It's kind of like an onion. You're, You're peeling those layers back, and you get to see who that person is underneath. You can't do that on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. You you can't get to know the person beside you in an intimate way that way. And so there must be community. And that's why Austin and and myself, and hopefully it's catching on for our leaders, is our desire is we want Bethel to be a place where people can believe, belong, and become who God intends them to be. So that you're going to believe, but then you've got to find a place to belong. And that's why Brotherhood, our senior adult luncheon, these studies that we're doing, some groups that we're doing, hopefully some D groups that we'll do in the future, discipleship groups, those are important because why? It's there that those relationships and those bonds are formed. And we're going to go deeper. We're going to get to know each other on a personal level, on an intimate level, to be able to love and encourage one another as we go through the trials of life. Because listen, you weren't meant to go through life alone. We were meant to go through life in community with one another. Listen, this koinonia, this partnership that we're talking about today, listen, they shared the gospel and were involved in gospel work. This is much more, listen, this is much more than warm feelings of friendship. And what's interesting here is we think about this partnership, this this participation. Nine times in the book of Philippians, Paul mentions ways that the Philippian church had partnered with him. He, He says that they are partakers of grace, that they were praying for each other, they were striving side by side, they were serving together, they were fellow workers, and there was a call to imitate him. So today, guys, as we think about this, as we think about this partnership, is partnership equals participation. Partnership equals participation. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves today, whom am I partnered with? And so I want you to ask yourself, whom am I partnered with? You know, I think about my lovely bride. She's my helpmate. But we are partners together. There are things all I have to do is shoot a text or pick up the phone call or when we come to church and serve in certain ways, it's like she's got this and I got this and we got each other's back. We're partnering together to, for, the, for the love of the people here at Bethel, but to make much of Jesus. Austin and, and myself, we're, we're partners in the gospel. Kristen, Austin, Kendall, and I, there were, there were times where we went through in the past 18 months to where God dug us deeper and where it was, it was our text thread, loving and encouraging each other, sending songs, singing, sending lyrics, sending a word of encouragement, sending a verse, sending a tweet, just loving and encouraging each other through that. We were partnered. We were there in the, in the nitty-gritty. We were there together. But what I want you to see about this partnership is something called the Jethro Principle. The Jethro Principle. Now, you might remember that name. It's in the Old Testament. So I want you to look in Exodus chapter 18, verse 17 through 18 and verse 22. It's called the Jethro Principle. What's happening is basically Moses is doing ministry. He's doing what the the Lord has called him to do. But he's just working himself to death. He's just burning his candles at both ends. And so his father-in-law comes in and he has some really wise words. Look at what Jethro tells Moses. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Did you just hear what he said? You're not able to do it alone. Moses, Chris, Kendall, Austin, you, you are not able to do it alone. 
Listen, he goes on to say, Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. We're meant to share each other's burdens. What's fascinating about this passage, if you go back and read it, is that what did Moses do? He went and he put judges over the thousands over the hundreds, over the tens. And there were people that came alongside him to partner with him in ministry. What did we do last week? We ordained a deacon. We ordained Alex Key. He's now a partner in the ministry, right? We recently, um, Liz McCabe, she stepped up. She's our connections team champion. She's leading that connections team. She's partnering with ministry with us. Now, as we think about partnerships, I, I just have to ask you, I just have to make this statement. You can't have a partnership without first having a purpose. You can't have a partnership without first having a purpose. And so I've come this morning to ask, what is our purpose? What is our purpose? What is Bethel Baptist Church? purpose what why do we so in essence the other way you could you could ask this is why do we exist why do we exist do we exist just to see how many butts we can put in in seats and pews no that's not why we exist do we want to see people come to know the lord absolutely because the lord is still saving and redeeming lives amen we worship a god of redemption a god of second chances so why do we exist? Well, maybe, maybe we do sometimes what, you know, there's no need to reinvent the wheel. Church that I have uh, seen from afar, I happened to go on their website one day and right there at the first, you know, no, no need to reinvent the wheel. Maybe, maybe this is what our purpose is. Maybe our purpose, I just adapted this for our community. Maybe it's this, helping people find and follow Jesus from Sumter to the world. Because honestly, if we have a purpose, it's something we can rally around. Right, like if that if we were to keep that as our purpose, I don't know that that's our purpose or what we keep. But if we were to say this is our purpose, is that something that you could rally around? Can can you wrap your mind around that? That our goal is that we want to help people find and follow Jesus. Here, here's the thing: youth ministry. Years ago, I learned you and I can't save anybody, but we can set up dates, we can set up appointments for them to meet Jesus. Do we have a goal of helping people find and follow Jesus? Listen. Sometimes I know I throw out some words, but I, I think the problem we have a lot of times in the church is we have Christianese. We have these words that we throw out, and we're like, oh, everybody knows what that means. Not everybody knows what that means. But like a disciple, we talk about, uh, we, we're to go make disciples. Yeah, okay. Best definition I heard recently, what's a disciple? Someone who helps someone follow Jesus. Helping people follow Jesus. That's all a disciple is, that we're going to help people follow Jesus. <clears throat> I think a lot of times we, we fluff things up, we make things too wordy. We, we need them simplified. Because what are we rallying around? And so I pin these words. I don't know how grand they are. They're not meant to be grand. They're meant to make us think. So listen to this. Once you have a purpose, you have something for people to buy into, rally around, and thus participate in. When people, listen, when people partner together around a shared purpose, only God knows what can be accomplished. I've seen God do something in the last 10, 12 months. I haven't seen him do in 10 years. Amen. I'm just thankful to be along for the ride. My prayer is, Lord, don't let me mess this up. 
Don't let me get in the way. You know, as we think about partnership, I want to remind you of a few things. That partnership requires a few things. Here's what it requires. Partnership requires purpose. It requires people. It requires participation, patience, and most definitely prayer. So I go back to a question I asked you a few minutes ago. Whom am I partnered with? Who who are you partnered with? Now, Now, furthermore, as the pastor of Bethel Baptist Church, I have, to, I have to reflect and ask that question of us. Whom are we partnered with? Well, I'm glad you asked. <coughs> so really quickly, this is a kind of quick sketch of Bethel's local, state, and national giving. People that we are partnered with, in essence. So I want to run through this list really quickly. <coughs> First and foremost, United Ministries. That budget line item went up by $450 this past year. Uh, to where we give them $100 a month. Because why? When people call, we want to be able to send them to United Ministries because they have a system, of checks, a system of checks and balances to be able to minister to them and make sure that it's, money's going where it needs to go and they have structures, etc. So we have upped that. So thou, uh, $1,200 a year for United Ministries. Sumter Pregnancy Center, $200. There's an asterisk. I'll explain that in a second. Christian Charities, Multiply Maine, which is Roger Farrell uh, in Maine. Uh, Connie Maxwell, the Cooperative Program, Santee Baptist Association, and Missionaries. So the missionary line item is really tw- uh, $2,000. I broke out Multiply Maine because that's we already have them identified. Go back to Sumter Pregnancy Center. We give them $200 a year is what we have listed in the budget. This uh, to year to date, uh, this past year, we have given them $928.96. That was through our annual baby bottle boomerang that we participate with them as well as during VBS, we did the age-old boys versus girls to see who can collect the most change. That's where that is. Um, Connie Maxwell, we mentioned that. Multiply main cooperative program. What's the cooperative program? You've heard me talk about that a little bit. That's where we cooperate with other Baptist churches. We send our money to the South Carolina Baptist Convention, which then gets dispersed throughout the state and also nationally, and we cooperate with other churches to make Jesus known. The association... I really appreciate Kevin Litchfield and what he's done in his time at the association. He has really flipped the association and what they do. He, they are not the church. They, they minister to the church. And so one of the things that they do is uh, they take pastors on uh, mission trips to kind of get them to see areas. And so they have invited me, and I'll be going to Maine later this month with them. And so they footed the bill. So that's awesome. Woo-hoo. And so it's like, oh, you want to go on a trip? I was like, yeah. And they're like, we paid for it. I was like, oh, even better. That, that makes it sellable to, to our leadership here. But I am thankful for them. Here, here's what I want to share with you. Here's what I want to share with you. If you add all of that up, that comes up to about $22,500. Our, our wish budget, if you will, for Bethel Baptist Church is about $409,000 a year. So that means right now that as we stand, that we have about 55 to 6% of our annual budget that's going to something missions-related. Here's my question to you. Each Sunday, we take up an offering, and we ask people to do what? We ask people to give their tithes and offerings. What's a tithe? How much is a tithe? 10%. So shouldn't we as the church model what we're asking our people to do? 
Now, here's my thing. That's not going to happen immediately. But if you take 1% of that, that's $4,000. Maybe over the next year, next year's budget cycle, we begin to kind of increase that. But here's what I love about this. When you cast vision and you share, you share stories. So recently when we changed something in the um, budget, it was that we changed that item to missionaries. I had a gentleman that came up to me, and he said, I want to ask you about this line item. Let me just tell you what. When people come up to the pastor and say, I have a question about something, especially when it has to do with the budget, it's usually not, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not always positive. Let's just say that. So I was like, oh, Lord, here we go. So I kind of explained to him what was happening and told him what was happening. So what it is is basically now in that category we have $2,000. We can support three missionaries at $600 a year or $50 a month. He was like, that's awesome. But he's like, what's $50 a month? So he came up to me, and here's what I want to tell you. Here's what he told me. He said, I pledge to give an additional $50 a month to go towards that line item. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to go to the church, and I want you to ask them if they'll give 10 or $20 a month to our missionary fund, if they'll, give 50 to, if they'll match that and do $50. I don't know what they want to do. Here's one cool thing I want to tell you. I shared the same story, exactly what we're talking about, about these partnering with people. Who are we partnered with? After the first service, another couple came up and said, you know what? For the next year, we're going to give $50 a month as well. So now that line item just automatically increased by $1,200 over the next year. You see what I'm saying? So praise the Lord that they see it, because what do we talk about? You've got to have a purpose. You've got to have a plan. You've got to have participation. And so what does that look like? Well, maybe it looks like supporting the Hunt family, which is coming out of Sumter, which is heading to France. They're actually going through some training right now before they get ready to head out. They came and spoke recently. They just had their little baby boy, and so they're getting ready to head out. Or how about Jesse and Daniel Fox that we've been praying for on Wednesdays? They're in Argentina. They work with the ministry called Signs of Love. What's beautiful about their ministry is they're going to remote villages there around Argentina. They're, they're knocking on doors and they're asking and saying, hey, we're looking for people who are deaf. They're like, there isn't any. And they keep looking, they keep asking questions. And lo and behold, two huts down is somebody who's deaf. Because people in that country, there's no structure for them there. Many of them don't know their own name, have no way to communicate. They're so hidden that people don't even realize there are deaf people around them. And so they're showing up in these remote places. And this mama, recently I read a story that Jesse shared, that this mom, they wind up in this place, and they're there in this remote village at the end of the street. And she was like, how did you find us? How did you find us? Why are you here? And so eventually, what did they do? They got to tell them part of their story. And then the deal is... They, present, they tell them about the gospel. They tell them that there's a God who loves them, and he's the one that sent them. And so these children and some of these adults are learning their names for the very first time. They're learning how to communicate with people. What better way to partner with someone, amen, that lives are being changed around the world, that you have a face and a name, you have regular updates that you can get from them. And so I just want to just end with this thought. What are some way that, ways that we can partner with others? I want to very quickly give you about four things. First off is prayer. You know what? I know some of us right now, times are tough, you know, the economy that we live in, and you say, I can't do anything but pray. Friends, that's the most important thing that you need to be doing is praying for other people, praying for Jesse and Daniel, praying for the Hunt family, praying for Multiply Maine, praying for the Pregnancy Center, right? Are we praying for those people in our lives? Then we're to give our time, our talent, and our treasures. You know, who are we partnered with? One of the things, and this is not about me, all the glory to God, but I just give you an example. Because if I'm going to ask you to lead, 
out of how God's wired you. I want to tell you how God's wired me and how I'm leading out of who he, how he has wired me. Here's the deal. I manage about 100 domain names for different people, but a lot of that is churches here in the community. And so one of the things, I'm the point person, and I hold their domain to make sure it gets renewed and then help them with their email servers, et cetera, whatever. I don't get any money for that. It's my gift back to the kingdom because God has given me the ability to do that. And most churches don't have someone who knows how to navigate those things. And so, for instance, my friend Marla at Northside, about once or twice a year, she'll call me and she'll say, Hi, I got this thing that looks like a bill. Do I need to pay this? No, that's bogus. Read at the bottom. It says this is a solicitation of services, not an invoice. Okay, cool. Thanks, Chris. Right? Just being able to lean into them. And so I support the Santee Baptist Association, uh, Paxville. uh, Bible Fellowship, Bethel, Harmony, a bunch of other churches, just kind of be that liaison. I don't want any credit for that, but I'm just telling you, how many of y'all, especially in our first service, I challenged them, a lot of them are retired. What industry did they come out of that that other people could be leaning into them for wisdom? But what about you? What industry are you in? How can you use what you do and how you're wired for the glory of God to help the church and to help others? That's a question I want you to consider. Also, how do we partner with others? We share their story. We we help raise awareness. How about this? We send an encouraging text. There's a couple, a friend of mine, Dale and Gina Forehand, they live in Alabama. They were married. They went through a tumultuous divorce, and the judge, he had the bright idea. He said, you know what? While you're getting your divorce, you're going to live together. And so they literally had house divided, two separate ends, And so they had two separate Christmas trees and two separate Christmases. Finally, about a year or so later, they get divorced. They're working on some stuff. And one of them says, you know what? This is not what God intends. God restored their union. They got remarried, rededicated their hearts and lives and marriage to the Lord. And now he has a men's ministry. She has a women's ministry, but they also have a marriage ministry. And they have impacted mine and Kendall's marriage. And so I'm thankful for them. So you know what they do? They have a text thread. So they text and say, hey, guys, we're going to be in uh, Jacksonville, Florida this weekend. We'd love if you could pray for us about these particular needs or how this is going to happen. Also, if you think about us during the weekend, pray for us. Or better yet, how about send us a text? So I can remember getting those texts, and I would go through and find verses of Scripture or nuggets of wisdom, and I would text them randomly throughout the weekend to love and encourage them. That's what it looks like to partner with others. Pray, give our time, our talent, our treasures, share their story, send an encouraging text. Listen, as we begin to close out today and our praise team comes back to lead us as we close in song, I want to give you a prayer prompt. If you're taking notes, maybe you write this down. Lord, help me to partner with blank to accomplish your will. Whose name needs to be filled in on that line? Lord, help me to partner with blank to accomplish your will. Who do you need to partner with? You you know, I go back, I shared that song about a firm foundation by Cody Carnes. You know, it it talked about, I've still got joy and chaos, and i got a peace that makes no sense. But what I love about the other part of that song is this what it said. It said, Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. When everything around me is shaken, I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus because he's never let me down. He's faithful through generations, so why would he fail me now? He won't. 
So guys, I've just simply come this morning to ask you, where is your firm foundation? What, what are you building upon? Are you building upon Christ, the solid rock? Are you building upon something else? Because listen, as we talk about this joy that we should have as we follow Christ, we've got to have that firm foundation first and foremost before we have anything else. And so I want to ask you this morning, do you, do you know that you're building on the firm foundation, the solid rock of Christ and Christ alone, the shed blood of Christ? You can be trying to be a good person, a good lady. It don't, it, that ain't what saves you. When you get to heaven and, and the Lord might ask you, why should I let you in? Well, I tried to be a good person. Eh, that ain't the answer. Oh, I went to church. Eh, well, I, I, I gave some money in the collection plate every once in a while. Eh, no, it's about following him. It's about committing our lives and faithfully and humbly following him, allowing him to transform us from the inside out. Sometimes, so often, people get so worried about what's on the outside. What they really need to be worried about is what's on the inside. Because that's what, that's what the Lord sees. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you don't know where that firm foundation is, I encourage you to come. I'll be glad to pray with you. Meet me afterwards on the other side of the information center over to the right of that. You know, if there's a conversation you need to have today, let's talk. Let's have a, I don't have all the answers, but I'll try to find what I can. I'll try to pray with you at least. And search and search the one who does have all the answers. But also, who are you partnering with? Is there somebody here today that might be willing to give an extra 10 or $20 a month just to our missionary fund so that we can go out and support and love some people like Dale and Gina and the Hunts and Multiply Maine and the Pregnancy Center? Are there, are there somebody that's willing to do that so that here's the thing, that you make an eternal difference? To help someone come to know Christ, the grace that he's offered us. Let's pray. Father God, I pray now during this final song, Lord, I pray you have your way in our hearts and minds. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to truly follow you. Help us to make sure that we have that firm foundation. Sure, Lord, so that then we can go through. And, and like Paul is saying, like this song that I heard this week is saying, Lord, that we can have that joy, that peace that surpasses all understanding because our joy is not found in our circumstances. Our joy is found in you. And so, Father, I pray now as we sing, Lord, have your way in our hearts. Give us the courage to step past the fear and the unknown into the life that you have called us to live, a life following you and making much of Jesus. Lord, we, we thank you. We love you. Have your way now. Have your way.